Yeah. Yeah, old school. That's what I'm talking about. Listen, this ain't for everybody. Some of y'all need to hear this. Huh. I know you're in the trenches fighting, but check it out. I'm going to put it down like this so I can help the saints understand. Everything you're going through is all part of the master plan. Or what? You thought because you got saved, everything was going to be peaches and cream? You better wake up, son. Don't nothing come to a sleeper but a drink. Faith without works is dead. Read your Bible. You know what it says. He who don't work, don't eat. Slackers don't get fed. Huh, yeah. Jesus said, he who puts his hands to the plow looks back the same ain't fit. Some of y'all ain't been in the Christmas five minutes and you about ready to quit. I ain't mad at you. I'm just hitting you with the real. <laughs> if you died for me and I was still tripping, now how you think that make you feel? Check this out. Deep game. This here's deep, huh? Some of y'all ain't sawing nothing but you're studying trying to reach, huh? But after him who's able to possess your fathers by his glory. Struggles might be part of your testimony, but it ain't the end of the story. Now the point is this was prophesied way back in the day. Choir, sing your hook right here and see if the church can relate. Psychologist, 
and a highly sought-after addiction therapist and trauma expert. I think I have an addictive personality, um, Dr. O, and everything <laughs> I like, I want a lot of it, so I try not to like too much. Uh, Dr. Irvin, she's originally from Atlanta Where she trained as an opera singer She moved in New York City To become a stand-up comedian And then to Los Angeles in 1994 When she heard Hollywood needed more blondes She experienced (laughs) What do you say, yep She experienced an epiphany (laughs) When she began volunteering for Children of the Night a shelter for sexual abused children in Los Angeles. This experience awoke the healer in Dr. Erin, prompting her to pursue a doctorate in psychology at the California Southern University with a specialty focused on the prevention and healing of sexual abuse. And she's also a certified therapeutic hypnotist. I want to be hypnotized before the day is over. Um, This is... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Dr. Nancy Irwin, welcome again. I'm so pleased to have you with us today. Uh, well, I'm flattered. Thank you for having me, Lamont. You know, we have uh, uh, so much stuff going on, um, I guess, on the Internet and on the television and press everywhere, uh, you know, about trafficking and uh, sexual abuse and and rape and all those little crazy things, and you know, it's it's uh, I don't know, it's a big problem. So uh, I guess we can yeah, start yeah. out with I guess I guess we can start out with the the number one question. I mean, I guess a lot of us uh, have some idea about sexual abuse, but um, I'd like to have you uh, break it down for us. What is sexual Good. abuse? Excellent. Thank you for asking this to clarify because there's there's such a stereotype. People hear the word sexual abuse and they automatically assume it's violent and it's a stranger and that it was just, you know, the worst uh, scenario you can imagine. Well, it's, you know, unfortunately it's a very broad term that includes everything uh, that a child is unable to consent to. And that means there's a lot of non-contact sexual abuse offenses. For example, peeping on a child when they're changing or bathing or just looking at them lasciviously. Uh, That could be showing them pornography of any sort. It could be videoing them. It could be masturbating in front of them, obscene phone calls. These are on the lighter end of the continuum, if you will, but that can certainly destroy a child's self-esteem and begin to allow them to think their only values in their sexuality. And then, of course, there are much more um, serious offenses, uh, such as, you know, rape, uh, fondling, um, and everything in between. So it is a very broad term, and uh, any of those things I just mentioned, if someone is perpetrating those, you can end up on the, the sexual offender registry for life. Wow. Yeah. Question. How, how often would you say this occur? And uh, double question. And is is this, would you say this is um, a, a cultural thing? Uh, I guess, um, I, I mean, how would you classify it? I mean, I guess it's been going for a while, but 
Is it more prevalent in some areas than others? Well, really not. Um, It knows no ethnic or social or financial or religious or racial boundaries at all. It happens to boys. It happens to girls. It happens to we know at least 20% of girls are molested before the age of 18, probably about as many boys. Um, Current statistics say one in six, but of course we know this is grossly underreported for obvious reasons because, for example, if a young boy is uh, introduced to sex by, let's say, an attractive teacher, well, from the neck down, it feels great. He's not going to call that abuse because it feels good. But from the head up, it can begin to be very, very confusing and set him up for a lifetime of only getting titillated by crossing inappropriate boundaries with sexual partners. Wow. Now that's so, a heavy yeah, thought, it, right? That's a heavy – excuse mm-hmm. me, I didn't mean to say. But that's a heavy thought right there, um, transcending mm-hmm. – I mean, um, those boundaries, because most young guys – when they look at any type of activity with an older female, um, they see it more as a conquest at that point, at that time. Sure, you're socialized that way. Unfortunately, in this day and age, it's very sexist, but guys are, you know, kind of socializing, all right, got it, cool, talk about it in the locker room. And, you know, in the time being, at the time, of course it feels good. But later on, it's like smoking. You don't know the effects until years later. I can't tell you how many men come into my office in their 40s um, or or a little earlier, a little later, and they can't hold relationships together or they feel like they can't control cheating. And then we come to find out this all started because they were sexually abused, even though they never recognized it as such. They just thought they were lucky and got a hot teacher to pay them attention. Wow. Yeah, that's an interesting concept. That's an interesting concept because a whole lot of uh, young men fall into that one. Sure, and then if a boy is abused by an adult male, and he's not, you know, inherently homosexual, that can open up a whole nother host of issues. He's, you know, wondering if he is gay or this guy's going to make him gay or um, all sorts of other issues with shame and guilt. So these are, you know, you look at any, if you go into any 12-step program, look at anyone who has any sort of addiction, whether it's overeating or it's drugs or alcohol or codependency or sex addiction, most of the time, they have some sort of abuse, usually sexual, in the background. I work at an addictions facility, and fully 95% of our clients have trauma in the background. Let me ask you a question to the left, uh, uh, Dr. Ern. What is your, what is your, uh-huh. your thoughts uh, on same-sex um, adoption when it pertains to some type of abuse, if any? When it pertains, okay, first of all, I completely support gay marriage and gay couples adopting children, absolutely. And actually the current research supports that they typically do better as parents than the straight couples, probably because it's been so hard won and they're so sensitive to all people and needs, it makes them absolutely more compassionate, more caring parents. 
Um, so that being said, what, Lamont, is your question about if there's abuse in the background and a gay couple adopts a child? Yeah, I, I guess my I guess my thought behind that is there. Is there any thought of these children becoming uh, uh, bi-curious at an early age and um, have some type of confusion as a result of that? I guess I'm asking my question right. Um, no more than any child has a lot of confusion about sexuality in general when they're uh, if they're not given the proper information. Again, usually gay couples are very sensitive to that because they many times were raised where they couldn't talk about it. They had shame. So as an adult, they do not want their kids to go through that. So they set up an environment of whoever you are is fine with us. If you're straight, gay, don't know yet, trans, whatever. So um, I'm not sure, are you asking if they abuse their kids, what the results are? Well, no, I'm just, I guess my question was if uh, same-sex parents, a little boy, I guess children, I guess, are more naturally cruel than adults are. Would that affect a child growing up, I guess, uh, with a same-sex couple? Would that cause him to be, I guess, uh, uh, wanting to um, experiment with a guy, for instance, before he find out that he may have end up liking a female? Oh, um, you know, I I do not know what the research supports. I have not heard in my clinical practice of any gay couple bringing in and having this be an issue with their their child. Again, usually gay couples, whether they're guys or females, they have such a strong support system, and they make it very clear to the kid whenever they start talking about anything sexual, whoever you are is okay with us. And they sort of prepare them to be bullied. Hey, your parents are lesbians, or your parents are gay daddies. They prepare them for that. So that they know that okay. some people are ignorant and just don't understand. And you're going to hear this, but you are who you are, and who you are is beautiful and accepted by us. Well, you made a good point that a lot of people don't uh, think about that uh, they do prepare. I guess that would seem like the most intelligent thing to do is prepare the kids. Sure. Unfortunately, that does happen, yes. But I have not heard of a kid being unduly curious about trying homosexuality any more than they might be naturally anyway, having been raised by gay parents. I think it's been so accepted, sure, try it if you want, that it levels that out. And they're like, oh, okay, don't need it. It's only when we tell people they can't <laughs> have something or try it that it makes them unduly curious. Right? Right. <laughs> understood, understood. Okay, listen, for those who just joined the show, um, please press number one on your phone if you'd like to join us. Uh, we're talking to Dr. Nancy Irwin today about sexual abuse and rape and all the good things that you, not, not good things, but the things that you're on TV and a lot of things that you're in the news and a lot of things that people don't want to talk about that should talk about that's happening in their neighborhood. And the call-in number, right. in case you don't have it, is 646-929-2870. Just press number one on your phone and let us know there, and we'll be glad to let you in on the conversation. Absolutely. See, 
Yeah, we had a switchboard that's kind of lit up, so I see we have a lot of people sitting back listening. And I don't know. Oh, good. I think that's one of the, I, I think that's one of the problems that's going on too, um, Dr. Irwin, is that people have a lot of these issues, and for whatever reason, they they are ashamed to talk about it or have been shamed to talk about it. Right. And I'm happy to have a forum to do so where they're anonymous and they can hopefully get some correct information or some resources where to get help. Right. Well, kind of, I've kind of been skipping around over here a little bit, so let's jump back over here. Um, what are some of the after effects that, that one would deal with after this type of trauma? Oh, great question. Well, as we spoke earlier, a lot of intimacy issues come up later in life. Uh, this can set one up to be promiscuous, or it can go the opposite direction. You become frigid. You shut down sexually or bouncing back between the two. Um, it can certainly char, uh, set up, um, the, sets the, the, the foundation for addictions because the memories come up, and if it hasn't been resolved and processed, then people need to numb out to the painful memories. So what better way than drugs or alcohol or food or gambling or sex or a whole host of other, you know, um, shopping, working. There's plenty of addictions out there. Again, some people's self-esteem is in the toilet. They just feel like their only value is in their sexuality. For example, you look at the typical prog- uh, profile of a sex worker, people in pornography, um, in prostitution, most of the time there is a history of sexual abuse. And they're trying to get their power back in the only way they can by overreacting with what they learned very early. It can also drive a whole host of other issues um, uh, depression, anxiety, sleep disorders, particularly in the case of, of incest. You can imagine how a kid who goes to bed at night, turns the lights on, is always wondering, is tonight the night daddy's going to come in here? So you can imagine how a lot of kids grow up scared of the dark, uh, difficulty sleeping at all, uh, or sleeping alone, um, it can certainly be behind uh, overeating or under all eating disorders. Uh, a lot of gynecological issues. A lot of women have severe pain during intercourse, and that's directly related many times uh, to to rape or sexual abuse. All sorts of sexual dysfunctions that uh, can go. Uh, men can experience this too. Uh, premature ejaculation or, or erectile dysfunction at a very early age. Uh, There's, of course, the shame, the guilt, uh, difficulty with authority figures, not trusting anyone, assuming uh, your boss, your coach, everyone wants something else from you besides, you know, um, the performance, the scholastic or the athletic performance, and plenty of other things. But it, and also it can set us up for psychologically being attracted to very toxic relationships in the future. Very interesting. So the same thing yep. that we're trying to get away from, we run to. Right. Sometimes. Okay, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I'm just saying, yeah, I was agreeing with you. Yeah. 
People overreact sometimes. It's like uh, beat them at their own game. Well, what should a parent do whose child has been abused? I mean, I know I reported to the authorities, but what else? What else can they do? Of course. Well, the first thing is, and easier said than done, but you don't want to completely freak out in front of your child. It's very difficult to stay calm, but you do not want to threaten to find that perpetrator, even though you're understandably outraged and want to grab a shotgun. I get that. It's a very human response. But with kids in particular, or anyone, this can really send a message of that it's a catastrophe and that it's hopeless. You want to get them to an expert ASAP. First of all, take care of their medical issues. Anyone who's been raped, of course, you want to go to an ER or call the police or an expert and get a rape kit done. You do not shower. You want to make sure you get all the evidence possible to catch the person and prove it. After that, to take care of your mental health, You want to, as soon as possible, work with either a therapist or a spiritual counselor or um, a life coach or someone, a nurse, someone who is trained, a social worker, someone who is trained to let you process what happened uh, as soon as possible without making it worse. Easier said than done, but you want to let the law and the psychological professional handle it. Is there uh, is there any statistics that would separate? I guess um, I guess that the children rate with uh, family members opposed to uh, strangers and neighbors. Oh, great question! Ninety uh, percent of the time. Children are abused by someone they know, and most of the time that is in their own home. So that can include incest, and I'm not sure exactly what the breakout is. They know a lot of people. Of course, they can know a coach. They can know their piano teacher or teacher at school, Uh, but it certainly could be an uncle who comes over on Thanksgiving. It could be a grandfather. It could be someone living in the home, a mother or a father or a sibling. Uh, But, yes, 90% of the time the kid knows the abuser. Horrifying, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. There's some type of, yeah, the the, the kid would have some type of trust with the individual or something. Exactly. Exactly. And they use that. And usually they'll pick a child who is vulnerable. I mean, they do this with adult victims, too, because a rapist, for example, does not want to get caught, so he's not going to do it in broad daylight. Uh, He's going to choose his victims carefully uh, so he can get away with it. Well, it's the same thing with kids. Um, People, I'm sure, have heard of the term grooming. Uh, Pedophiles will groom a child, meaning they'll slowly lure them in for two reasons. So the child begins to trust them by giving them candy, candy. albums, whatever, you know, plenty of ways, uh, money, plenty of ways to groom a child, get them to trust them. And then also, so the perpetrator is able to see how he can uh, begin to offend and get away with it, to know a location, the right time, the right place, so he is protected and safe. Many times that can be a long process. 
Many times it can be very short, but they'll pick someone who's vulnerable, who's maybe lonely, coming from a home where the parents are absent or the child's been neglected, so they're emotionally needy. So it's very easy for them to feel like they're special, and then the chances of them keeping their mouth shut are going to be very, very high. They don't want to work with a kid who's mouthy, who's going to um, um, scream or say something or tell. They want to pick a child who's going to be shy or quiet or keep the secret. Right. Uh, the predators, predators. So how how can one prepare their kids without freaking them out? You mean before something occurs so that they will be aware that there are some people who are up to something nefarious? Yeah, um, this starts long before they even get socialized or know what this dynamic is. It helps if parents, of course, stay in conversation with their kids, are hands-on parents, having healthy communication so the child uh, knows mommy or daddy or mommies or daddies are there to listen to them, that they care that they can share anything with you. And then that will enable them to trust their own instincts, and they'll know if something is creepy or wrong. And... Um, then the child will develop their own self-esteem, and then they will learn how to know when they're uncomfortable with someone and state that and move away. And then at right. a certain age, it may be appropriate to, to start explaining to them, look, this is your body. No one has the right to touch you without your permission, unless, of course, it's a physician, you know, things like that. Um, you teach them those things about the same time you're teaching them other safety habits, like how to respect fire, uh, how not to run out in the street. But you want to teach them, you know, um, some people talk about what a good touch and a bad touch is. I always tell parents not to use those terms because to a kid, all touch feels good. We're sexual beings. And when someone touches us, and it's not done with violence, and most of the time it's not, when it's done with a sort of tenderness, uh, then it, it all feels good to kids. So that can be a very dangerous phrase to use. Just teach them what's inappropriate, what makes you uncomfortable. And then, of course, up to a certain age, you always have a chaperone with them. Just like uh, OBGYNs, Typically, when they're doing a female exam, they'll have another professional in the room with them, either a nurse or another staff member, so that, I mean, anyone who's legitimate is not going to bat an eye about having someone else in the room just to know everything is clean and copacetic. So I would say for young right. kids going to gymnastics and, um, you know, soccer practice, make sure, and I think this day and time, we need to even have like a parent in the back of the room in most school rooms just to make sure no teacher is alone with a child. It's too risky. And I, I tell you, if I were a teacher, I think I would insist on having an assistant in there. If a kid stayed after school for tutoring or something, I would absolutely protect myself. Well, that's smart, dude, because uh, that definitely keeps somebody from accusing you of some wrong uh, activity when you know you didn't do anything. It's protection exactly. both ways. Either have a, yeah, of course, of course. You could have it videoed. Uh, you could have a video, you have security camera in the room, or um, have another person in there just for everyone's own protection. 
that's a good answer for that one. Here's a good one. Good one. Yeah. What causes someone to rape or abuse a child? Mm. Great question. What, there, um, pedophilia genetic? I guess that was the other part of that is pedophilia genetic. Uh-huh. Yeah, it actually is. A lot of people do not want to hear this because they think it's an excuse and the person cannot help it. And let me hasten to say a pedophile can control their behavior. They did not choose to have a genetic marker in their brain that causes them to be attracted to children any more than you or I uh, are programmed to be attracted to males or females. Now, I'm a straight female. Imagine if the law were, it's against the law to sleep with an adult male. Well, this is kind of the world that a pedophile lives with. It's against the law for them to sleep with someone they're sexually attracted to. I'm not asking people to accept that. I know it's really creepy to hear that. But that's what they're dealing with. Unfortunately, that's the genetic mark they got. Does that mean they have to act upon it? Hell no. Of course not. Uh, In fact, the good news is there are a couple of organizations now that are dedicated to admitting that they were born being attracted to minors. In fact, that's a term. It's called MAPS, M-A-P, a minor-attracted person. And these organizations um, give resources uh, and tips for managing this attraction but not acting upon it. So if there's anyone out there listening who thinks they are attracted to minors, there is help. A lot of people are hesitant to go into a therapist because they feel like they'll be reported. And the good news is we only report if you tell us that you have abused or offended a child. If you tell us you're attracted to one but have not acted upon it, we can help you work through that and accept that that probably is not going to change any more than your skin color is or your hair color without changing it. It's one of those biological things. But it does not mean you have to act upon it, and that's a big difference. Just like you could be genetically wired to be an alcoholic, does that mean you have to drink? Of course not. Easier said than done, but it certainly is controllable. And those organizations, people need this information. There's one called Virtuous Pedophiles. So they admit they're attracted, but they do not act upon it. So they do their best to avoid kids or only be around other adults, and they set themselves up to protect themselves from ever acting upon it. And the other one is an excellent organization out of Baltimore, and that's called Before You Act, and that's a capital B, the digit for the letter U, ACT, A-C-T, Before You Act. These are both awesome organizations that are committed to taking away the shame of having this attraction and having to keep it quiet and live in the dark, which is going to breed action. Hmm. Wow, you just taught me something that I didn't know. I've never heard of these organizations and didn't even know such organization existed. And um, Wow. I guess if someone really has a... um, has this thing going on, I guess it would take a lot of uh, uh, nerve and courage to really step up and go try to seek help to do something about it. 
Yes, it does, but they can also do so anonymously. I've treated people like this, and they use an assumed name. Or we can use a number. They're patient number 12. Or they use a fake name like Joe, and I press no further. That allows them to come in, or we do phone sessions, and we talk about how to control their urges, how to protect themselves, to seek out a job that really has nothing to do with kids or anything like that, to keep their computers clean, to set up barriers so they can't get anything, um, um, fewer ads that have anything to do with kids. Easier said than done, of course. We're all surrounded by kids, especially if you live in a big city. Uh, but to go right. to, um, you know, choose a smaller church that, for, for example, has fewer children or older kids or whatever, there's all sorts of ways to do that. But you don't want to live, for example, right next to a, a school or a daycare center, things like that. So it's common sense in a lot of ways. And then you just learn how to go to family functions or be around kids and control that, just like an alcoholic does. I guess that's kind of led into my next question. Is there a cure for it? But I guess if there's some type of treatment, you must feel that there's some type of cure. Well, there's not a cure. It is manageable, just like there's no cure for alcoholism. But it's manageable. You just don't drink. And with pedophilia, you just stay around kids as little as possible, and you um, manage your impulses you control them without acting upon them. You learn how to respect children's needs, um, any person's needs, to let their sexuality blossom in their own way. Uh, because offending anyone is very selfish. You're only thinking about your own needs, and you're not considering the victim's needs and wants. So, no, there is no cure, but there is certainly management, and it is completely possible to control responses uh, to manage your thoughts without acting upon them. So a person that's uh, seeking therapy uh, for this, uh, is this, this is a lifetime therapy or is it for periods of time? How does that work? Well, it can work both ways. Like anything else, people can go into therapy and maybe um, intensely for six months or a year they really learn how to manage this, and after that, you know, they taper down or they just, you know, live their life, and if something comes up and if they're, they're feeling weak again, then come back in, have a tune-up, if you will. Um, the therapy with, for any issue works this way, with anxiety, with depression, with addictions. Uh, life sometimes presents stressful situations, and you get triggered. So you go back in and have a refresher course, if you will. Okay. So between, uh, uh, I guess, the um, the adults, children, and the adolescents, is is one of those uh, more acceptable, or acceptive of the therapy than others, or benefit from it than others? Well, um, there is effective therapy for everyone. It's never too late, heal, to treat any sort of issue. But, of course, early intervention is always best. For example, you fall down and you break your arm. You're not going to wait 30 years to set it. Um, you want to go in, of course, and immediate attention to it is going to help it heal 
most effectively. Well, it's the same thing with any psychological wound. Um, you would think that children would heal more quickly because they are so malleable, and um, many times that is true. But there are certainly adults who this happened long ago in their past who are so ready to heal that they, quote, unquote, get it very quickly, and they're often running with it. But trauma therapy definitely works best when it's early intervention, but it's never too late. It's your choice. Do you want to suffer for a month or for 30 years? big choice for one to have to make quite another good question for me anyway is there is there uh um for children is there a, a, a such a thing of a child pedophile a, a, a young adult no the the um diagnosis of pedophile only applies to someone 18 or older to an adult there certainly can be juvenile offenders, but it, let's say a 16-year-old kid, it's, really, it's very complicated with um, adolescence, and every state has different rules. But in California, where I live, for example, if a 16-year-old has sex with a 13-year-old, that is abuse. Anything below the age 14, it's a whole different ball of wax. Two 16-year-olds having sex, if it's consensual, is okay. Even two 13-year-olds together in California is okay if they're both consenting. But if a 16-year-old is with a 13-year-old, that 13-year-old is considered below the age of consent, so that would be, could be prosecutable. Um, so the seeds can be born of attraction to children as an adolescent. But many times you outgrow that, and then you become attracted to people your own age, you know, as you grow up. So really the term pedophile only is used as a diagnosis when the person is 18 or older. Oh, okay. That's, didn't understand that. Plus, I, you know, I wanted to know if that was just a term that uh, was specific, like you just sure. said, to a certain age and up, or if it applied, you know, for younger Right, right. Because when we're 12, we're, we're naturally attracted to other 12-year-olds. Whether we're having sex, we're, we're attracted to other 12-year-olds. It's who we see. Even when you're six, you can have a crush on another six-year-old. Hopefully you're not having sex with them. Um, and that would be absolutely age-appropriate to have a crush on someone that age or even kiss and things when you're 12, 13, 14, et cetera. Um, but Forcing someone at any age against their will is always a crime. I don't care what the ages are. Yeah, and a lot of that's going on in the news today, isn't it? Right. Shocking. That doctor at USC who was um, of, and these were adult women. They were college students, so they're all adults, unless some of them were 17, but for years. He was um, taking advantage of them. He was sexualizing the pap smear exam. Wow. I know. Amazing in this day and age with all the awareness. Went on for years. Totally, totally. Uh, Dr. Irwin, I think we have a caller. Let me see who this is. Oh, great. Uh, 804, you're on. 
Hi, thank you for taking my call. I was just listening to the show and I was wondering related to getting help at any age, does that also apply to a narcissist sociopath? <laughs> uh, well, that's sort of a different ball of wax. Are you talking about a narcissistic sociopath who's doing sexual offenses or getting treatment for their narcissism? Uh, I don't. Somebody who was sexually abused in their childhood that is using sex as a woman to attract people and then use the narcissism to attempt to put them into fear and control. Ah, uh, well, unfortunately, when you're talking about a personality disorder, which a narcissistic personality disorder or sociopath, there really is, those are two different categories. There, there is no treatment really for sociopathy, for psychopaths. They're treatment resistant. That's and regarding true. narcissists, Right. With narcissists, there is some treatment. It's usually not effective. Here's why. Narcissists live in a world of they are perfect. So they don't, no one else can tell them what to do. They're always smarter than any therapist. If they are dragged into therapy by their partner, they hate me. They hate any therapist. We're idiots because they know more than anyone else. So t narcissists are usually extremely treatment resistant. In fact, most of the personality disorders are, sadly. Yes, that is sad. Uh, one other quick question, yeah. if I may. Uh, I wanted to ask you about Dr. Maya Angelou. She had all kinds of abuse in her youth, but I, I think she overcame that through her own spirituality, if I'm not mistaken. I don't know if she got treatment oh. along the way or not. I'm not sure about how she was treated, but absolutely, she was an extremely powerful voice for recovery. And that, that is the good news I want to put, you know, uh, as a button on this whole show and this topic, which is very dark, is there is always hope and healing. I was a victim as well. And I refused to let my life or my whole identity be defined by that trauma. And it sounds like Maya went through the same thing. In fact, she used that experience to write some exquisite poetry about how to heal and to be free. And that's called transcending. That's a very, um, that's high on the echelon of mental health healing. It's transcending yourself to heal. It's being very self-aware and self-actualized. It's turning your pain into your purpose. I appreciate that very much. I actually had the pleasure of speaking with her on a radio show, and she had kind words to say about a poem my author. I'd love to share that with you. I could do it on or off air. That's up to you. Wow. Oh, I'm yeah. so glad you did, and lucky you for getting to work with her. Amazing. Yes. Would you like me to give you my name, and you can Google it and see the uh, listen to her comment on the poem I authored? Yeah, Absolutely. What, what's your name, sir? Yeah, what's your name, yes, sir? Yes, my name is uh, Hugh, H-U-G-H. -H. The last name is Charlson. It's spelled T like Tom, R-A-U-L-S-E-N like Nancy, and then just put and Maya Angela bring you right to a portion of an archived uh, blog talk show where 
few years ago, I spoke with her, and the poem I authored is also in the President Ronald Reagan Library, dedicated to my Earth Angel wife. It's been discussed as a weapon against terrorism, and currently I'm looking to have it manifest in a way that may change the whole way global philanthropy is done. Wow. Thank you. That is amazing. Thank you for sharing that. Thank you, who appreciate your call. Yeah, so I'll also yeah. leave a, a message to you, Dr. Owen, because there's a big website I think you'll find quite fascinating. I don't know, have you authored books? Because I'm looking to just get information flowing that show people how to shift and raise their consciousness and, and not focus so much on the material world, but really come to an understanding of spirituality. Absolutely. Wonderful. There are tons of books. Yeah, there are tons of books for that. Right. All right, I'll let you continue on, but thank you very much. Very insightful information. All right, thank uh, you thank for joining you. us. Okay. Yeah, wow. Nice gentleman there. Beautiful. Yeah, yeah. resilience is always um, can be a byproduct of this. I mean, I'm completely committed to people um, triumphing over any tragedy. Because we're all so much more resilient than we than we know. Yes, um, Doctor Irwin, throw throw the information about your book and stuff out there. Let's talk about that real quick too. Okay, great. Thank you so much. I've got a couple of books. Um, one is called U Turn, and that's a visual. It's Y O U dash Turn, changing direction in midlife because I was in my early 40s when I left my former career as an entertainer and uh, went into psychology and I reinvented. So reinvention, and many times that's overcoming trauma, is something I'm very committed to because I want everybody to, to live a life they love, uh, whether it's you, you need to change by default, meaning you got divorced or fired or ill, or it's by choice. You were just bored and wanted something more. So U-Turn, Changing Direction in Midlife. It's available on Amazon. And also I wrote a, uh, co-authored a book um, with another clinician at Seasons Recovery Center where I'm on staff as a psychologist. And that book is about overcoming addictions, and that's called Breaking Through, Stories of Hope and Recovery. And you can Google that also on Amazon, and that's uh, uh, by Dr. Nancy Irwin. That's fantastic, Dr. Nancy Irwin. Look, I got a question for you, too, about going from entertainment to being a psychologist, because I'm thinking about quitting my job uh-huh. every day. But listen, I think we have another caller, so I'm going to let bring the man in, then I'm going to get back to you. Excellent. Great. 323-710, you're on. Hello. Okay. Maybe we answered the question already. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, maybe so. Maybe so. But I am amazed, uh, uh, Dr. Irwin, uh, um, a trained opera singer, and then you did stand up, and you did stand up too. I did. I did that for ten years when I was in New York, and that's what brought me to Los Angeles. And I was 
doing that here as a staff um, MC at the Melrose Improv when Jerry Seinfeld started his show, when Ray Romano started. I knew those guys in New York and worked with them quite a bit. Great guys. And uh, their careers went a little further than mine, you might say. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you you turned the corner, (laughs) you know what I mean? You shifted gears. Yeah, well. Well, they have a lot more talent than I do. And, you know, I had a modicum of success. I was a good road comic. I, I, I did okay. Um, but after a while, you know, when you're a comic, you only work about 30 minutes a day. So I got bored, and I started volunteering, as you mentioned earlier in the bio, for this um, shelter for sexually abused teenagers called Children of the Night. And that absolutely waked up the healer in me. And I could just see, you know, man, this is real life. This is there's something else for me to do. These kids are like uh, impregnated by their pimps. They were strung out. They were suicidal. And I'm worried about how my hair looks and who's in the audience to see me at midnight telling jokes to drunkards. So that sort of informed my change. And I went back to school and um, couldn't be happier. And of course, I always say the, the, the road from comedy to mental health is very short indeed. I know, because most of us entertainers in this business are crazy anyway. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, creative type. Oh, I'm still a huge fan. Yeah, absolutely. But I work with a lot of creative artists and um, certainly respect them, and I love the art form. I still go to a lot of comedy shows, all of that, so it's wonderful. And I I wouldn't trade my experience for a zillion dollars. It's part of who I am. Because you see, all all of our skills are transferable into something else. Most people right. think, wow, opera singer, comedy, a shrink. Well, they really do go together. I work with a lot of creative artists, and I understand, plus I do a lot of media appearances. So all of those skills, being comfortable on stage or with a camera or being creative and, and helping people you know, heal. I mean, look, good Lord, a lot of creative artists – uh, were traumatized as well. So I feel very comfortable treating those issues because I know both sides of that. Right. I tell you, when I first read about you, this, something just jumped out at me. So you got to have her on your show because she has a message. Uh, you're very kind. Well, I love what I do, and I love to watch people heal and grow. And, of course, I'm biased because my job is to be an agent for change. But, yeah, I think recovery is always possible, that uh, survivors of sexual abuse or any kind of abuse can reclaim their their sexual expression and manage any lingering symptoms. And uh, like we said before, facing it and cleaning out the wound thoroughly is the key. Just, uh, you know, repressing it or minimizing it or just get over it doesn't work. That's very disrespectful to a survivor. Because it's, yeah. Yeah, that uh, you're just speaking on now. Does that go to the uh, the buried memories of abuse, or uh, the, I don't even know what a false mem- uh, memory is. But what is a? Uh, uh, I know it. Well, you explain. <laughs> you explain. What's the false memory and uh, a buried memory of abuse? Well, many times people call me and they say they think they're abused. They're not sure. They want to maybe use hypnosis or explore. And I say, well, that's really dangerous territory. I don't want to go fishing in your unconscious because it is very, very tricky. Um, Whatever memories come up, 
um, the true ones will come up over time, I believe, to go digging in there and prodding around can be very dangerous because here's why. The human memory is very error prone. And if there's a blank, the brain might fill in what could have been because nature abhors a vacuum. I mean, look in court when people, you know, point out, I could swear he's the one that robbed me or raped me. And many times we find later with DNA, it wasn't that person. It was close, but no cigar. This is why it's so difficult with a lot of different crimes, because the brain wants to solve it and move on. Uh, But with a sexual offense, people call up, they want to know if their father abused them. I'm like, well, it's not going to hold up in court, nor should it, because it's too easy to lead us into some dangerous territory. So this is why it's so difficult, um, particularly after so much time has passed, to prosecute without evidence, like rape kits, DNA, and witnesses, et cetera. It's very difficult to, to prosecute any sexual crime, which is, it, which is horrible. But I would say if you really do have some memories, we can work to accept what could have been without going to court to prove it. And that's very hard for some people. Very hard to accept that because you may never know no, for sure, and it, we don't we don't like the unknown. It seemed like that's a whole another can of worms to uh, the court system uh, with sexual abuse mm-hmm. and and handling sexual type situations to determine right. to determine what's uh, a legitimate case versus what you just said the, the memory thing, right? Absolutely. And there's a lot of gray area, too, with adults. With kids, not so much because they can't consent. But there are tons of of rape cases, particularly date rape or acquaintance rape, where cues were mistaken or alcohol was involved. And that's a whole tricky, tricky pan of worms. Oh, wow. Yeah, I could imagine somebody having a party somewhere and get super drunk and be consensual at that time, and in the morning when they wake up, they're like, oh, no, I didn't agree to do that. Exactly. Exactly. It's And we're living in different times now. <laughs> it's really very hard. You have to be very clear. Wow. Yeah, it is really scary. It's really scary. Cause I know when I was when I was growing up, you know, I guess some of these same situations were occurring, but they definitely weren't as prevalent as they are today. Well, sure. I mean, the exciting thing about living the times we're in now, we have very little tolerance for racism, any sort of discrimination, abuse, sexism. The good news. The bad news is a lot of times we carry it too far and we're looking for things that really are not there or we're misunderstanding the gray area. So it's um, we're all learning as a culture how to be more respectful, and that's just the pendulum swinging from one way to the other because there's been extraordinary racism and discrimination and harassment and abuse for centuries now. So it's great we're cleaning it up. And this is a, grow, a growing pain. I think there are going to be some um, um, fall guys and some misunderstandings and maybe false accusations as part of the growing pain. 
Well, I just hope we continue to be on the other side of that. Yep. Yep, we all want to live in a world where everyone is respected. So very true. So very true. Yep. So what's what's next um, and what else you got coming up, Dr. Irwin? Well, um, you know, I work um, at an addiction facility called Seasons in Malibu, and um, we're growing, and I'm also I'm in private practice in West Los Angeles, and I'm just, you know, loving treating people. I do a lot of media appearances. I don't know what's coming up next. I never know <laughs> when the phone rings and I'm on TV, um, but I just love doing what I do. And that's a wonderful thing. When you, when you have yeah. a job that you definitely love what you're doing and you can see the benefit and how it's helping people. I kind of think at the end of the yes, day, it's kind of like what we're here for. I think so. If you can make a difference with whatever it is you're doing, and you can make a difference with anything that you're doing, as long as it's being of service somehow, some way to other people, I think that makes it a life worth living I agree 159% because I tell everybody all the time you know when my day is over I want my life to stand for more than just walking around stepping on ants every day right (laughs) exactly you know at least you want to know that your life really meant something and you you did something uh, beneficial to help others Added something to it. Can't beat that. Yeah. So anyway, uh, Doctor, we're down to the last minute or so of the show, and I want to definitely thank you so, so very much. And it's definitely been such an honor and pleasure to uh, talk to you. Um, I'm always riding down through Malibu, and I looked at your facility a couple times. Oh, Wow. Well, it's a great place if anyone wants to heal from any sort of trauma or substance abuse or mental health disorders. Seasons in Malibu is a wonderful setting. I'm honored to be on staff there. Yeah, I hear great things, great things about it. And for all our listeners that uh, joined the show late, you can hear the show in its entirety and a couple of minutes. It's uh, available worldwide, and I don't know where you hear your music or your radio shows or whatever, but you can get this show there for sure. And um, you don't want to miss it because what's going on that we talked about during this show, it could be happening right next door to you, across the street from you, at the neighborhood gym. Might even be within your own household, your own family. So pay attention because we should know that the children are our future. And we're here to help them. So that's all I got to say. Lamont Patterson on Can a Play a Play with our guest today, Dr. Nancy Irwin. And thank you, Lamont. A pleasure. Thank you. And we're going to continue to follow you and support you, Dr. Irwin. Awesome. Uh, Ditto. Ditto. I'm getting to the point now when I get to church. I want to ask somebody, did you mess up before you got saved? So they can say yes. I say, you're the one I want to sit with. Because I know you're going to praise the Lord. I don't want to sit with no dude who be good. 
slots you can get lucky just about anywhere dearly beloved we are gathered here today to has anyone seen the bride and groom sorry sorry we're here we were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time no lucky land casino with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry in that case i pronounce you lucky play for free at luckylandslots.com daily bonuses are waiting no purchase necessary void were prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply see website for details Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts.